From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I'm Patrick Pexton, filling in for Sean Zeller, who is taking an August break. The Republican-led Congress is increasingly writing and occasionally passing legislation to prevent President Donald Trump from taking what lawmakers believe would be ill-advised actions overseas. The bills are few in number so far and mostly subtle, but they show how even members of Trump's own party are restive about the commander-in-chief's intentions and want to preempt him on multiple fronts. With us this morning are John Donnelly, CQ senior defense writer, and Rachel Oswald, our CQ foreign policy reporter. John and Rachel, welcome. Good to be here. Hi, Patrick. John, we're going to start with you. Congress is worried in particular that Trump might extract large numbers of U.S. troops from South Korea in any deal with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. What is going on there and what is Congress trying to do? Well, what makes the legislation that we're talking about so unusual uh, to me, one of the things, is these are things that Trump hasn't done yet or even said that he will necessarily do. These are things where that he has, however, hinted that he might do. And so lawmakers are worried about them. And we st- we'll start with Korea. The president has apparently asked the Pentagon to study options for reducing the number of U.S. troops in South Korea. He's already frozen exercises after his uh, summit with Kim Jong-un. And he wants the South Koreans to pick up more of the tab for U.S. troop deployments there. And he's also, in general, questioned alliances, including alliances with Japan and South Korea. So lawmakers are worried about that. In the defense authorization bill, which had just cleared Congress and which Trump is notwithstanding this and other provisions he's a little worried about. He's about to sign the sign the bill into law. Uh, so this is something that's going to happen. What the provision says is that the president may not cut U.S. forces in South Korea, which are currently at about 28,500, below 22,000, unless the Secretary of Defense certifies certain things that it's in the United States' interest, that it's in the interest of the alliance, et cetera. And um, so it's, it's not an outright block, but it will at least sort of put a limit on – won't make it easy on them. Let's put it that way. Thanks. Rachel, uh, there was an unusual vote in the Senate recently where 98 to nothing senators voted to deter Trump from doing something. Can you explain that to us? Sure. So one of the things that came out of the Helsinki summit was a proposal from Vladimir Putin for in exchange for allowing U.S. officials to interview Russian intelligence officers who've been indicted for election interference. The U.S. should make available a similar number of Americans in some of those names for people who we've known to be thorns in um, President Putin's side because of their human rights advocacy, because of their work to promote democracy in, in Russia and their work to combat corruption in Russia. One of those names was former Ambassador Michael McFaul, um, ambassador to Russia under the Obama administration. And the press conference, without getting into the explicit proposal, uh, President Trump called it an incredible offer. And then later, the White House said that it was something that was being looked at, it was being considered. And the fact that the White House did not reject it categorically out of hand as preposterous, as something that would drastically undermine diplomatic safety and as something that could have very troubling reciprocity ramifications overseas, Congress was just really taken aback. And so we saw this uh, vote a few weeks ago on a non-binding resolution, but it did put the Senate in record and, and I think an important way 
the decision to have the vote came about as the White House was beginning to walk back and then eventually said, we are not considering this proposal. So, I mean, normally our diplomats always have diplomatic immunity from such interrogations or arrest or detention. And so this was viewed, I think, by a lot of people as a departure from diplomatic norms. Yes, it would be hard to imagine a lot of things being able to happen in, in American diplomacy. I mean, would we would we have diplomats in, in dangerous countries like Iraq or Afghanistan or Pakistan if they are vulnerable to being seized and subjected to that country's judicial system at just at, at a whim? So it, it and, and what about other countries who look to the United States to kind of take the lead and set the example. We don't think President Putin was serious about it. I think I think he was just trolling. But that it got to this far, that it got to this far where the Senate had to go on record saying, don't do that, President Trump, is just, you know, just it's remarkable. Thank you. Senator Corker, who's chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee from Tennessee, he has been uh, saying recently that he's concerned that there really isn't a lot of strategy behind the Trump administration foreign policy. And in a hearing with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo last week, he indicated what his worry was. There are a number of reasons to be concerned. Among them is the lack of information the administration has provided to members of this committee. It's our hope that you will reduce our level of concern by providing us with clear answers that might help convince us that those at the White House know what they are doing and that, to be candid, you know what they are doing. Rachel, what's going on there with Senator Corker? I mean, the senators on the Foreign Relations Committee. The Senate Foreign Relations Committee, I think, is one of the more diverse committees in the Senate when it comes to range of political views. You've got people who are very, very dovish on the left, people who are left of center, people who are right of center, people who are traditional uh, conservative hawks. And then you've got, you know, one lone libertarian, Rand Paul. But I would say all of these voices, all of these voices, probably with the exception of Rand Paul, are increasingly concerned about the signals coming out of Trump on as far as his foreign policy. It's not just the meeting with Kim Jong-un in Singapore. It's not just the Helsinki summit with Vladimir Putin. It's his warm rhetoric toward autocratic rulers. It's his complementary nature. It's the way he compliments uh, autocrats like Rodrigo Duterte from the Philippines, while at the same time criticizing some of our staunch allies like NATO, criticizing Germany's leader, criticizing the European Union. And it's not that these senators couldn't imagine there being a strategy. In fact, some of them have said, listen, this talk, talking tough with NATO has led them to finally finally increase defense spending. So that's to the good. But other than that, they don't really see a strategy to it. They don't see how our situation with China is improved upon because of this escalating trade war. So I think what you heard from Senator Corker was, you know, and I mean, and this is a man who I think, especially at the beginning of the Trump administration, really bent over backward to give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, Senator Corker so badly wanted to give President Trump the benefit of the doubt. And then where he is right now, just exacerbated, so exacerbated, so, so confused about what's going on is, is and, and I mean, this is this is one of the more frank and bluntly spoken members of the Senate. But what he is saying is what we sense a lot of other Republicans are feeling. Rachel, the Senate has uh, 
put forth some language and some proposals that could really hamstring the president on his actions with NATO. The president has threatened to withdraw from NATO if they don't do certain things. What is happening with that kind of unusual language? So following um, some closed doors comments that the president made in Brussels and then some threats that he reiterated um, in a press conference, as well as public speculation in a Fox News interview about why the United States should come to the defense of Montenegro, which joined NATO earlier this year, you saw senators um, uh, from from the left and the right file uh, different bills that could potentially set, sh- um, set up a very consequential Supreme Court showdown. That said, I don't think it would get to that point. This president or any president withdrawing the United States from NATO is still unthinkable. But the fact that we had this flurry of bills, two in the two in the Senate, one in the House, with very strong bipartisan sponsorship and some of the leading Republicans um, sponsoring them. We have Senator Arms, uh, Senate Armed Services Chairman John McCain is a co-sponsor, and we also have Cory Gardner, um, Republican from Colorado, who is seen as the being groomed for next-generation Republican leadership, that they were the co-sponsors of several of these measures suggests um, how bro- widespread the concern is. Um, the bills, uh, one of the bills in the Senate would prohibit the president from withdrawing from NATO absent a the advice and consent of the Senate, which requires two-thirds supporting. But I would say if ever, if ever there would be an appropriate case to finally settle this, this idea about can the president withdraw from treaties that have been approved by Congress, it would be withdrawal from NATO because that still has overwhelming support in both chambers of Congress. I just want to stop for a second and let's just take a deep breath and assess where we are, that the, that the United States Congress would be considering legislation to prevent the president of the United States from pulling our country out of NATO. A year ago, two years ago, could anyone even conceive that this would be happening? Now, the president has not said for sure I'm pulling us out of NATO, but the fact that he's indicated that that's even a possibility and that the Congress is considering legislation to block it is absolutely extraordinary. It is. John, I agree with you there. And another area where Congress seems to have put its toe in the in the water of presidential authority is on the nuclear arsenal. And when does the president have power to fire off nuclear weapons? Tell us what's been going on in that front. Well, for years, the United States has had a readiness posture that says – If we perceive due to our satellite data that we are under nuclear attack, we must be ready to respond within minutes. And that sounds like it's good to be ready, right? But the problem with it is it creates a real pressure cooker environment and a real short time frame for the president to make the most consequential of all decisions. And it's the kind of thing that liberals uh, and uh, arms control advocates have been worried about for a long time. But now the National Defense Authorization Act that the president's about to sign into law is going to require a study of options for elongating that decision time. And a lot of experts I talk to suggest that there's a reason why that this kind of proposal is coming to a head during the Trump administration. And that's because, again, an extraordinary thing that, that the people are afraid about this man with his finger uh, near the nuclear button, and partly because of things he has said about the size of his nuclear button, for example. And so it is remarkable that this is even a study of the issue is being considered. An interesting historical note, there is a precedent for this. During the 1980s, the Pentagon did a study of this very issue. And it was the man who ran it was a, a gentleman named uh, Bruce Blair, who is now a, a defense expert at Princeton.
Princeton University. And I talked to him the other day, and he told me that after he did the study, Defense Secretary Caspar Weinberger classified it at pretty much the highest classification level possible. So that only the president, the secretary of defense, and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff could look at the study. That meant he, Blair, who wrote the study, was no longer allowed to see it. That meant the senators who asked for it were no longer allowed to see it. <laughs> so he is actually uh, concerned that a similar thing could happen right now. Now, this, this study has to be in unclassified form, but it can have a classified annex. He's worried that even the classified annex won't have all the information that people need, people with clearances need to see to make uh, some wise decisions on this. That's just an interesting, A, historical note, and B, possible forthcoming element of this issue. John, it seems, uh, and either Rachel or John can respond to this, it seems that uh, lawmakers are a little worried, too, about progress of the nuclear negotiations with North Korea. Senator Flake expressed worries in a hearing last week about this very issue. You, you mentioned that uh, they have committed to denuclearization. They may have a different readout than we do on what that entails. Uh, but, uh, but so far, they seem to be walking back uh, any commitment, a real commitment that was made there. What do you see going on, John, with the, the, the post-summit uh, actions on North Korea? It seems that Secretary Pompeo, the Secretary of State, has been rushing around like a chicken with his head cut off, but not much has happened. Tell, tell us, give us a little update on that. Well, it's bizarre. Uh, the president acted as if there was some kind of agreement reached in Singapore when there wasn't, at least none that anyone knows about. Similar to the Helsinki summit, uh, where he said, you know, he and Russia are talking about things that were decided, but there's no record of it. Again, a bizarre uh, and extraordinary situation. So what happened, what was agreed on, first of all, is, is unclear. And, and secondly, it, what if anything was agreed on is unclear. And secondly, there is all kind, of, all kind of intelligence leaking out of the Pentagon in recent weeks about North Korea continuing and in some cases advancing their development of ballistic missiles and nuclear weapons. So, um, you know, sometimes this happens like before a peace, uh, before a ceasefire is signed, you see a flare up in fighting so that each side can get the stronger hand. And sometimes even when some some kind of accord is being negotiated, you'll see both sides continue to act in an in a aggressive way. Um, so that may be part of it. But the bottom line is there is no sign that there is any kind of agreement that's taking shape and there's no sign that North Korea is slowing down their uh, belligerent activities. I'd like to thank John and Rachel for speaking to us today about President Trump's foreign policy and the attempts by Congress to curb some of his actions. You've been listening to CQ on Congress, which is the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. You can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Stitcher, and you can find us on NPR One. I am Patrick Pexton. Thanks for joining us.